Well, good morning. I love my forever family. And I'm so honored to be here today. I love Sundays that I get to speak because I spend days prior to preparing. And what usually ends up happening is the conviction of myself and the encouragement I receive that I so desperately need. And by the way, I wore my suit jacket today because I came to do business with Jesus. <laughs> Hope you did as well. I see uh, John Marler and Jordan did as well. Not that you need to wear a coat, just teasing. You know, there's a famous story that I like about Supreme Court Justice uh, Oliver Wendell, Wendell Holmes, who was a, a Supreme Court Justice in the first part of the 20th century. And one day he boarded a train in Washington to, to go take care of some business. And not wanting to waste a moment, he opened his briefcase and began work. And as the journey began, as, as was custom in those days, the conductor began, began walking down the aisle taking tickets. And he said, uh, may I take your ticket, sir? The judge said, ticket? Oh, my, my ticket. And he began to check all his pockets and going through his briefcase and rummaging through papers and couldn't find it. The conductor recognized him as, as a Supreme Court justice and said, oh, Your Honor, please don't worry about your ticket. When you get to your destination, just put it in the mail and send it to us. But Judge Holmes was not deterred. He continued his search even more frantically. And again, the conductor, wanting to help, said, Your Honor, we trust you. Don't worry about your ticket. And Judge Holmes replied, But you don't understand. I have to find the ticket because I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> And very true, isn't it? seems like so many people that are on the train of life really are unsure about where they're going and how they're going to get there. We have uncertainty about what is to come and how things will go. And many of us are that way. And just know you're not alone in those thoughts. But I want to encourage you not to be anxious about anything because we serve a Savior who loves us and who will guide us. And today we're going to look at some scripture that uh, kind of encourages that. So let me set the scene here. Um, this scriptural text that we're going to read <clears throat> comes from John, and it's going to take place on the Sea of Galilee. Much of what uh, Jesus did in his ministry took place on or near the Sea of Galilee. As a matter of fact, Capernaum was a, a fishing village, small fishing village at that time, that sat on the sea. And that was sort of his base camp, if you will, for his ministry. And so many uh, miracles and many great things happened at Capernaum and on the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, you can still go there today. You can see the uh, actual um, synagogue where he attended and where would have been Peter's home church. Um, and you can see what they believe is Peter's uh, house or the building complex that he probably lived in, which is just wonderful evidence that our Savior lived and, and as a human and, and had a normal life. But it, if we were the disciples, 
we're two weeks post-resurrection. Now, we celebrated that on Easter here in the modern era. But imagine, if you will, you're the disciples. You followed this man who was the Messiah, who was your rabbi. And when you did so, you learned from him. You listened to his commands. They had a very... um, wrong but a a misunderstanding about what the Messiah was going to do they thought he would overthrow the Roman Empire and that they would free them from bondage much like what happened uh, in the Old Testament however they didn't really fully understand all that he had told them in those days and so then their Messiah was killed and then they found the empty tomb on what we celebrate as Easter And so we're two weeks past that empty tomb. And so they're trying to figure out how does life go on? What does it look like now? Some of us can relate sometimes when big changes come in life. We've got a friend and they don't like change, right? I'm okay with change. But this was big change, right? I mean, they'd spent three years following a rabbi that was the Messiah, but they didn't really understand all that he had taught them. And so they were trying to make sense of it all and resume a normal life. And this story that we're going to read was the third actual appearance to the disciples after his resurrection. And we don't know all the the details in between, but we have enough to know. And this is one of my favorite um, stories or scriptures in the gospel. So let's start in John chapter 21. If you have your Bible or your electronic Bible, You can turn there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I thought this translation did a very good job of explaining our Messiah in this moment. Starting in verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right side, of the boat and you'll get some so they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter it's the Lord when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work jumped into the water and headed to the shore the other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only a hundred yards from shore When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had it torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said, said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So there's really so much in this story. As I studied the story at the end of the week, I actually found hundreds of sermons. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach that length. I'll keep it to the, the expected amount. But you know, one of the reasons I love this story is because I love camping and fishing on the lake with my father when I was a boy. My father um, had this little small aluminum 14-foot fishing boat, and we would camp on Lake Washita in the summertime. This was some years ago. It was quite as, uh, the amenities weren't quite the same, and it was just wonderful. He'd put those trot lines out, and I'd go out in the boat with him, and we would haul all these catfish in, and sometimes he would even, you know, uh, fillet them or skin them, and we would have them right there at the campground near the water's edge. And I love that. It's some of my best memories of my father. And I, too, uh, took uh, my kids fishing and had some fish cooked over coals at the campground. And it was one of these memorable-type moments for the disciples as well. Remember, they are totally lost as to what's to come. Right? They don't fully understand. And so, for them... Though this was, had much deeper implications. This wasn't just a, another summer camp out with their father. This was going to be some of the last times they saw Jesus and were able to glean from him. And it's interesting that John, unlike the other gospel writers, gives us Jesus tending a campfire on a beach. I love that. I love that. There's no parables or sermon. He just called them friend. He was friends. They were at, at the beach together. That's just um, says so much about who our Messiah is and who he was to them and how he cares for us. You see, it's not about the empty tomb for these disciples. It was about a Savior that has risen, and he's there with them. A Savior who loves us enough to surprise us in ways when we least expect it. But we need eyes of faith to see him. And I know it's not always easy. Sometimes tragedies happen in life. And it's hard to see Jesus in that. But then there are other times where it's so obvious. And so the first point I want to make about this uh, text is that God made himself known to us in Jesus Christ. Now there's actually a theological term called the hypostatic union. That simply means the personal union of Jesus in his two natures, his deity. 
And that's hard for me to comprehend. It's supposed to be hard for you to comprehend. He's sovereign. He's great. If it was easy to comprehend, it wouldn't be great, right? And that's okay that it's hard to comprehend. But you see, he was both the son of man and the son of God. He is fully human and fully divine. And so that's what actually brings us here today as believers, right? That's why if you're a believer and you're here, it's what draws us together and creates that union is that we believe Jesus was God in human form. And while we may not understand it completely, we just have to trust that some, sometime in heaven we'll, we'll get all those answers and we'll understand better. But you see, he was both the son of man and the son of God, and that's very important for us as believers to grasp because you see, as the son of man, he has to go to sleep but as the son of God, we saw him calm a storm and put nature to sleep. He is the son of man, so he knows what it is to go hungry. But because he's the son of God, he can miraculously feed the 5,000. He is the son of man, so he knows what it is like to feel stressed just like we do. But because he's the son of God, he is the prince of peace. He's the son of man, so he knows what it's like to be thirsty. But as God, he can walk on water, and he is the living water, just like he told the woman at the well. As a man, he can die, but as God, he can rise from the dead. And that's what we're celebrating this week. You're dealing daily with the eternal son of God. As a man, he can understand what you're going through, but as God, he can do something about it. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is over all and through all and in all. He is the rock and the salvation. He is our fortress. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. And he loves you so much. He gave his life and he wants to be in a relationship with you. A relationship that's genuine and real. He wants to restore you daily. You know, he made himself known to the disciples from the shore that day. And they finally realized and knew it was him by his voice, his actions, and that miracle of cast your nets. They were finally learning what it means to be both man and God. And some of us have heard that voice, seen his actions in your life or others' lives. And maybe have even witnessed some sort of miracle where God intervened. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul said this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete in Christ. When you placed your faith in him, you are now complete. You're not incomplete. Don't, don't buy into that lie. Don't let this world convince you there is any way but Jesus there are many lies out there today, and just like in those days, we're seeing more and more of 
those top lies creep into our culture, even our Christian culture that says there's plenty of ways to get to heaven. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So because he's God and he's son of man, he's able to be that intercessory for us. If we want to get to God, it's through him. No other way. Don't believe this mysticism, this magic, whatever else is out there. If you want to spend eternity with God, the only way is through the truth and the life, Jesus. And so Jesus was God in human form. And because that you are complete in Christ, you are enough. You need to tell yourself that daily. We live in a culture where the world beats us up. And we compete with others. But that's, that's not our standard. Christ is our standard. He becomes the standard. So do not listen to the lie that says, you aren't worthy of love and forgiveness because of how you lived your life in the past. Or you aren't worthy of love and forgiveness because of your past sins. That's a lie. Christ died and resurrected to prove otherwise. Don't listen to the lie that says you are condemned because of your past mistakes. Maybe you did ruin your marriage. Maybe you did cheat to get your way to the top. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you lived a life as a drug dealer. I don't know. But whatever that is, once you turn away from that, God makes you a new creation. He forgives you, and you are now complete through him. Do not listen to the lie that says you can't overcome your worst failures. There are many in this auditorium right now who've overcome lots of failures and struggles through Christ. You may not know them, but trust me, there are. You're looking at one who's had his own bad failures. But these things do not define us. The resurrection of the risen Messiah is what defines you, and you have to tell yourself that daily. I plead with you, do not listen to Satan. His, his lies are, are just that, they're lies. And I'll just tell you, I have to write this on my mirror in my bathroom so every morning when I shave, I'm reminded that I am worthy, that I am forgiven, that Christ completes me. <clears throat> you know, the disciples didn't get it either. If you read through, they were walking with the Messiah in his ministry. And they didn't always get it, but they were starting to. And the good thing is our salvation, it doesn't depend on understanding all of this in its entirety. Just placing your faith in it. And that's our second point. If you will find him, you will find him if you seek him. Jeremiah 29 and 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And on this morning, the disciples didn't know him at first. It said so. It was probably low light. They were probably tired from fishing at night, which, by the way, fishing at night was the norm back then. It was the preferred time. I'm not exactly sure why, but there are historical records out there that talk about the fishermen preferring to be out there at night. <clears throat> but they were probably tired from working all day. Right? But when he spoke to them and gave a similar command to them about cast your nets, just like he had done before. That was when John knew it was the Lord. 
And it appears Peter kind of lost his mind at that point because he put on his coat and jumped in the water. And that was an interesting thing. I honestly have never researched, but did some digging. And so it would have been inappropriate to meet somebody with such, um, that was so important, a rabbi in your work clothes. And I'm, I'm guessing the best thing we could relate to, maybe he'd stripped down to his swim trunks because it was hot. He was on the water, right? Maybe they jumped in the sea every now and then. I don't know. But that's the way I picture it. But now he was going to meet the Messiah. Even if he was 100 yards offshore and had to swim and wade in the water, he wanted to make himself respectable and uh, presentable, if you will. <clears throat> and you know, like the disciples, we may not always recognize him either. In those moments in our lives, there are tough times. We're distracted. Maybe the anxiety or the stress or the depression has you where you just can't see that Jesus is working in your life. But you've got to take time to listen, to read the word, to meditate on his word, call out to him. He's, he's a friend, and he's our Messiah who wants to hear from you. And that's how you're going to know what kind of Savior you have and what you should be looking for. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, that famous scripture that says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You have to truly, in faith, ask him and look for him. If you want what he has to offer. And he has the hope and the peace that you desire, that I desire, that we desire in our life. <clears throat> a pastor friend of mine said, we live with great expectation. We live with, we live with living with living hope. And I like that. And then not, it's not because we always know why. It's because we know who. We have hope because he said so. Hope is not optimism. Don't confuse the two. Optimism depends on people. Hope depends on a king. Optimism is positive thinking. Hope is a passionate trust. Optimism says, nah, maybe it's not so bad. Hope says sometimes it's really bad. Really bad. Some of us know that. But you know what? The king is really good. And the king has the last word. And hope will not allow the voice of a fallen world drown out the word of our risen Savior. And that risen Savior will restore you. And that's my third point. In Matthew 16, verse 18, we read that Peter was made the rock and basically the future of the church as we know it. He was told during Jesus' ministry he was essential to carrying out that mission um, and also that great commission that we read about in Matthew 28. So he's told that during Jesus' ministry as a disciple, but then maybe a year, I don't know, maybe it was two years, we don't know exactly, later, Peter denied Jesus three times while Jesus was being interrogated. And you have to understand, this was... Kind of a courtyard, if you will. Think of a garden area. Uh, what they call the praetorium, 
which was originally King Herod's palace, but the Romans took it for their own. And so that's kind of where Pontius Pilate resided. And so you had this big courtyard, and that's where they had Jesus. Well, in that same general courtyard is where Peter was warming by the fire. So it's very likely, we don't know for sure, that Peter was within hearing distance and Jesus in hearing distance of Peter. They could see each other. He didn't just deny that he was the Messiah. He cursed. In Arkansas terms, he used cuss words. All right? He wanted to make sure everybody knew, I don't know this man. He did that in front of Jesus. In front of him. After all, Jesus had done the, the love and the growth that he had given him. Now, less than three weeks after denying Jesus and cussing at him, basically about him, here Jesus is in the scripture reinstating, restoring him. That's why I titled this sermon, Jesus Restores. And remember, he disowned or didn't know Jesus three times. That's why Jesus asked three times, do you love me? See, Jesus was giving him a chance of restoration. Now, I'm not sure Peter knew that at first, but I think he soon recognized such. So if that's what Peter did, what makes you think he wouldn't restore you? If you're a believer and you've turned your back on God in some way, sinned grievously toward him, what makes you think he would not forgive you and restore you? And if you haven't ever trusted Christ uh, as your Savior, as your Messiah, he will make you a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So whatever you did, it doesn't matter. It's gone. You're new just like Peter in that moment. And by the way, Paul was another one who knew very much about restoration. And when I read this, I thought, did I murder Christians? I haven't. I hope none of you have, assuming you haven't, right? Did any of you imprison fellow believers? Because Paul did. And he was kind of the ringleader in those early days of trying to snuff this new Christian faith. So what have you got in your past that you think is so bad that Jesus isn't capable? He can make you a new creation. And I hope if you're not a believer and you haven't put your faith in Christ that you'll come see me or one of our elders afterwards. We'd love to talk with you about it. As I always say, we've got a baptistry. I don't know if it's cold or hot. We've got a river that's for sure pretty cool. And I'm always up for the river. And we'll not only take your confession of faith and your repentance, but we'll go baptize you today. But if you're like Peter and you put your faith in him but you failed, get up and repent because Jesus is waiting to restore you back into a relationship with him. He isn't like us, right? He isn't fickle. When you go to him with your failures, he's not going to gossip about you. You can trust him. And by the way, he accepts you warts and all. 
doesn't matter what you've done. He isn't like people around you maybe that look down on you. And by the way, if you haven't watched The Chosen, it's a, a movie that actually Ed kind of brought to my attention. It's, a, it's on an app. You can, if you have an iPhone or whatever, you can search The Chosen. And it's a TV series, for lack of better terms, and it's about what it means to be a disciple. It's written from the disciples' view of Christ. And I will tell you, they take some liberties, things in Scripture that aren't there, they kind of fill in the gaps of probably based on culture and history what they think it could have been like. But they do a marvelous job with Mary of Magdala showing how she was redeemed by Christ. If you want to see a good example in a visual way of what it means to, to, for Jesus to restore somebody, go watch that. I've watched all two seasons a few times, and when third season comes out, I'll probably binge watch it again just to get ready for the third season but do so and be open minded right don't, don't be condemning because they fill in the gaps that we don't have in the bible but it's free it's a wonderful watch I love that they show Jesus as a redeemer and you know he actually made Mary Magdalene the first evangelist she was the first one who witnessed the resurrection this season that we're celebrating a woman for lack of a better way, she was our first evangelist. She was the first eyewitness. And she went and began telling others. And that is awesome. That tells you about our Jesus and how he views women. Especially in a time where they were second class citizens. He, he was not the norm. And I love that we have a savior who was God and created the universe. The one who told the mountains where to rise up and where the seas to stop. And as we sang this morning about where the stars are placed in the sky, that's our God. That's who Jesus was because he was deity, the one who makes the sunrise and the moon recede. I love that we have a Savior who wants us to seek him. He loves you, and he won't reject you like others you care about may reject you. Isn't that one of the worst feelings when you're rejected by somebody that you care about? He won't do that to you. He cares about you in your life. And he's waiting to receive you every day, any day, any time. He won't reject you. And I love that we have a Savior who restores. He looked at me in my anxiety disorder and my broken and sinful state and said, I want you to be an ambassador for me. He wants you to be an ambassador. doesn't matter what you did. He's made you new. He's restored you. Think about that. An ambassador is somebody who represents something big. In, in modern times, it's, it's something that represents our government to other countries, right? It's the most common use of that. He wants you to be that despite what you've done. And that's amazing to me. He made me new. He made you new. He wants you and I to respect him, represent him rather to the world, and give us the Holy Spirit as a guide to do so. And I'm going to close with this as Mikey and the gang can start doing their thing. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you haven't read it, read it, it's an easy read. Read it. I know I understand there's a movie, and I think I saw it, and it was good too. But something about reading a book to me is, is best. And there's this quote in it. 
And so if you haven't read the book, just know that Aslan is a lion that's a representative of Jesus in this book. And there's lots of animal characters, if you will. So the section from the book goes like this. Mr. Beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We serve a dangerous and predictable God that is our king, and that should excite you. He is for you. And because he is your king, and he is for you, he is good. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We come to you broken. We come to you. We know we're sinners and a mess, and we know you make us a new creation. You restore us daily as needed. We only have to place our faith in you and look to you as the, the, the God who presents himself to us in, in the form of man and gives us the word and who creates the universe and who wants us to seek him. He wants us. He desires a relationship with us. And Father, we just come... Hopefully, we're all confessing our sins right now that come to mind and turning toward you so you can make us great and mighty and ambassador for your kingdom. Father, we don't always understand how you were both creator of the universe and human form, but you know, we know you can relate to us and you love us that way. Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they will seek out someone here today, put their faith in you, and take it even to the next step and be baptized and become a believer, become a part of this family of believers, this forever family who is given to encourage each other through this tough life. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace. And we ask this in all your son's name. Amen.